They're still calling it a quarterback competition. I might add, let me just end that speculation for you now. Sam Hartman's your guy at Notre Dame. Maybe Tyler Buckner becomes the next Cam Newton. I don't know, but I'm not forecasting that right now. Hello and welcome in. Today is Monday, March 27th. We hope you're having a wonderful day. Maybe you're on spring break. Maybe you're not. Maybe you are and just kind of pretending to work and kind of figure it out. But if you came across us here on the podcast or on the YouTube site, we appreciate it so much. I'm Greg McElroy. Along with me as always, Jack Foster and Mark Kubiak. We have a great show. Our spring previews continue. And by the way, for those that are unaware, we will, by the time we get through all of our spring previews, we will have hit at least 60 different teams. At least Right now, we're looking at like 63 with all the new additions to the Power 5. That number's probably going to be up just a little bit. So we are going and doing our part to try to make sure you have a little bit of info on every single team that's taken the field here in the next couple weeks and the guys that have been taking the field the last couple weeks. But there's still so much more that we need to get to. There's spring whispers. There's stuff going on. So we will evaluate post-spring some of the things that went down during spring, but we're still setting the table as of right now. And today we have a great show. We're going all over the place. We got Notre Dame. We have Utah. And those two teams were connected because of a coordinator, at least for a little while, this past off season. We got Texas Tech. We got Iowa. We got Iowa State. We're going all over the place. So we have a bunch of teams that we want to get to today that are getting underway for their spring practices. So let's not waste any additional time. We have that. We have mailbag questions, multiple mailbag questions, including one about a team that is in the final four. I'll let you figure that out. You might have to check it out here in just a little bit. And before we get you out of here, because we'd be remiss if we didn't, we feel like we need to at least maybe talk a little hoop, maybe make a pick or two, or maybe we save that for later in the week. Either way, we'll figure it out because it's going to be a great day here on Always College Football. It's not always save time. Let's get to it. The spring previews. Let's get started with the Utah Utes. All right, the defending Pac-12 champs, the Utah Utes, they finally got that Pac-12 championship. Well, gosh, now it feels like a formality. Every year, Utah's in the mix for the Pac-12, but you look at it. Can they three-peat? We shall see. Back-to-back Rose Bowl appearances is nothing to shake your head about. It's a tremendous accomplishment, and Kyle Whittingham and company should feel great about what they've accomplished in each of the last two years. But now there's one more hurdle that remains for this Utah program. Can they get to the college football playoff? We know that when the college football playoff expands, Utah will likely make it almost every year because they have been dominating, or at least recently dominating their league. And with the departures imminent with both SC and UCLA, Utah might find themselves in a really nice situation. But let's talk a little bit about what they have coming back, okay? What do they need to do to become a playoff contender? Now, seen an awful lot, right? We've seen everything kind of go their way. We've seen things, balls bounce away from them. They've been a win away from the college football playoff only to come up short in the Pac-12 championship game. We've seen them deny teams 
a college football playoff spot from the Pac-12 like last year, or SC only needed to win and they just couldn't get it, not against the Utes. But where do you want this spring to center around? Because if there's one thing that Utah's had with tremendous consistency, they've had pretty dang good front seven defensively, pretty dang good quarterback play with Cam Rising, who's going to be coming off an injury and will miss spring ball. But that's okay. Developing depth behind him, I think, will actually pay dividends down the road. But they need to figure out ways to create more explosives. They have excellent, excellent tight ends in the last two years. We all know how good Dalton Kincaid was. We know how good Brett Keithy was. Like We know how good those weapons were at tight end. Phenomenally good, right? Phenomenally good. But now they're going to have to replace those guys and hopefully maybe get just a little bit more explosive in the process. The good news is... Utah has not been a team that has relied heavily on young, rookie, freshman talent. But tell you what, Emery Simmons, a four-star wide receiver from Indiana, I think when you look at him moving, him moving to Utah and getting the opportunity to kind of fill that much-needed void as a legitimate guy that could potentially change the face of their offensive explosiveness. That's a significant addition, especially when thinking about what they lost in the passing game. They had such reliable pieces. Dalton Kincaid's going to be potentially a first round pick. It's a certain, certainly a possibility. I don't know if it's a, it's a foregone conclusion, but it's a possibility without question. Replacing that void will be significant. And to do so, if you can go and get quality pieces, like Emery Simmons, like Devontae Vele, like Money Parks. Those are the guys that are going to have to fill in and step into that void. Now, Dalton Kincaid's productivity is probably not going to be replicated by just one guy. It's going to be a communal effort, but I think they can do it with some of the pieces that they have coming back. The other piece that I'd be prioritizing and highlighting, if I were Kyle Whittingham, I got to figure out a way to make sure we can find an adequate replacement for Clark Phillips. Like Clark Phillips was a difference maker at corner last year. The guy turned people over. He was great in coverage. He had great instincts and could read quarterbacks' eyes. Plus, I think he was more than willing, <laughs> more willing than some corners to be effective against the run as well. He's a physical player. So I think finding a guy that can adequately replace him will be of the utmost importance for the Utes as well. Pac-12, as we've talked about and we'll continue to talk about, the Pac-12, you can make a case it's the deepest league in sports. In our sport, you can make a case it's the deepest league. It will be insanely difficult for Utah to get to the mountaintop yet again. But would you bet against them after what you've seen the last two years? It'd be tough to justify it, that's for sure. All right, so bold prediction. Utah will win its third consecutive Pac-12 title. I'm going to say false on this one. As much as I love Utah and as much as I love the program and the culture that's been created, to win it once is amazing. To win it back-to-back, -back, incredible. But it feels like the league is going to have more parity this year than maybe ever before. The teams that I like, SC, Washington, I think Washington's going to be a whole heck of a lot better. I think Oregon State 
if they can improve quarterback situation with DJ Uyunglele, they got a chance to be legit. The Pac-12 top to bottom is really, really good. I mean, you have, if you look at the tiers, I think you have a top tier in SC and Washington. Then you have the next tier. Utah would be at the very top of that next tier. But keep on going. Oregon State, Colorado, who's in the bottom tier but is improved. You look just across the landscape. UCLA is kind of in that middle tier. A lot of question marks about what they bring back and what they lose. So I think the Pac-12 is insanely, insanely difficult this year. And I like Utah's personnel at several different spots. But there are also question marks at several different spots as well. So I'm going to actually take teams that return a little bit more. That Those being SC and Washington. At least right now in March, that's the direction I'm leaning. That essay you definitely started weeks before the deadline and not the night before might be easier with some late night snacks. DoorDash can help get you the snacks and energy drinks you need to get you through that all-nighter. Get the back-to-school savings you really want and get unlimited free DoorDash delivery with DashPass. Just $4.99 a month for students. How worth it? So worth it. For a limited time, our listeners can get 50% off up to a $20 value and $0 delivery fees when you download the DoorDash app and enter ALWAYS23. That's 50% off up to a $20 value and $0 delivery fees when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code ALWAYS23. Don't forget, that's code ALWAYS23 for 50% off up to a $20 value and $0 delivery fees with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. I'm moving on to a team that almost stole Utah's offensive coordinator, Notre Dame. Andy Ludwig decided to remain at Utah. Was there prohibitive buyout? I don't know. It's not, not it's beside the point. That ship sailed. Let's stop talking about it. It gives Notre Dame a bad look. All right. Either way, let's talk a little bit about the Fighting Irish. Okay. This is a big year. And people are going to say, well, you know, obviously it's Notre Dame. Well, I think this is an important year for Marcus Freeman. There were really, really high highs last year, some great moments last year, obliterating Clemson having some great performances down, the comeback in the bowl game. And there's some good things that were done last year for the Fighting Irish, but it's difficult to kind of wrap your head around losses to Marshall, a loss to Stanford. I mean, there were just some moments where it's like, what the heck happened? I mean, you look great against North Carolina. You look awful against Stanford. How is that possible, right? So I think that's the biggest thing is finding consistency here in the new season. But let's start a little bit with their offense, okay? Had some serious chaos, I guess, for lack of a better word, chaos. Like Tommy Reese leaves. It's not the end of the world. Good coordinator, a guy that I have a lot of respect for. But I do think that the identity that's been created at Notre Dame over the last handful of years, being physical, being able to feature certain players at the tight end spot, being able to be 
and establish the line of scrimmage. Like I think all those things can still be replicated because it's a culture thing. If the culture is established, it can be continued. I'm curious to see how this coaching staff gets together. All right, you got a couple new assistant coaches. Joe Rudolph is going to be running the offensive line. You know, you got uh, Gino Guadugli, who's going to be coaching the quarterbacks. You got obviously Gerard Parker is going to be your new OC. So that offensive staff, can they find some continuity here in the 15 practices over the course of spring? And in this transition from Tommy Reese to Parker, what is the offense going to look like? I mean, I'm assuming there won't be much change. I'm assuming that because they stayed in house, not a lot's going to be different with how they attack opposing defenses. But here's the thing. Like they were very public in their flirtation, call it that, if nothing else, call it a flirtation with Andy Ludwig. Andy Ludwig, yeah, he runs pro style. He runs balanced attack, but he runs some pistol. He runs some shotgun. Like he does a lot of different things. All those things we saw from Notre Dame, I might add. So there is a little carryover from what Ludwig's done to what they did last year under Tommy Reese and what they might likely do under Gerard Parker. But I don't know this for certain. I mean, is it going to look a little different? Do they rely maybe a little bit more because of the departure of a great tight end? Do they rely a little more on 11 personnel? Do they rely a little more because they have great running backs on two backs, three wide receivers, or 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end, and two wide receivers? Like, what, what are they going to look like philosophically? I mean, Parker was the tight ends coach. Do they do more with the tight end? I think those are all legitimate questions. And now, Let's be real. What's the biggest storyline with Notre Dame outside of the coaching changes on the offensive side? They got a new quarterback. Sam Hartman steps in. And it's not like Sam Hartman is going to be no doubt about it, without question, home run. I don't know those things. I'm, I'm very optimistic. I'm very optimistic that he has, I think, a unique ability to feel defenders. I think he has a unique ability to spot guys and identify matchups and be very, very accurate with the football. Go back and watch the Clemson game. Wake Forest Clemson last year. Go watch that game and look at how many tight windows he hit throughout the course of that ball game. It was ridiculous. The guy played his tail off. Now, ultimately, they lost, but he played his tail off. The problem is, while that performance was phenomenal, look at the performance against Louisville. It's a fairly significant contrast because Sam Hartman that day was a looking a little bit more like Hyde, not Jekyll. I want to see consistency from Sam Hartman. I'm hoping that when he's in an offense that isn't, isn't quite what Wake Forest does, then maybe that will come to the forefront. But we know he's legit. And I, look, I, they're still calling it a quarterback competition, I might add. Let me just end that speculation for you now. Sam Hartman's your guy. At Notre Dame, maybe Tyler Buckner becomes the next Cam Newton. I don't know, but I'm not forecasting that right now. And then finally, what about the receiver position? Because we're going to sit here and we know Notre Dame's loaded at running back. Even if you haven't watched Notre Dame in three years, you know they're probably pretty good at running back. Just an assumption. But let me just tell you, that running back room is phenomenal but I am legitimately concerned about wide receiver because I had heard all last off season that we spent time talking on this show. I heard, Hey, Lorenzo styles. This is the year. 
this is him. He's going to be the dude. Like, he's going to take off. Did you see him in the postseason? Like, he's going to be our guy. Well, now I'm starting to hear, you know, rumors that, you know, maybe Jaden Thomas is supposed to be a Jaden Thomas. Look at how he finished the season last year. Like, look where he's going. He's going to be the guy. And then you hear, hey, what about Tobias Merriweather? We're talking about a guy with unbelievable talent, a guy that has ridiculous skill set. And you hear about Deion Colsey. You like the grad transfer and Caleb Smith. They're both going to get an opportunity to get significant minutes and significant touches. You got a couple of newcomers that people are really excited about. And Braylon James, Jaden Greathouse, Rico Flores Jr. We're talking about real difference makers, right? Well, there's a big difference in having potential and productivity. Because every single person that I just listed has terrific potential. And maybe with more consistent quarterback play, that potential will come to the forefront and it'll turn into real quality. But that's still a question mark at this point. Am I cautiously optimistic? You better believe it. Feel real good about it. Feel real good about it. But it's not a foregone conclusion. It's been a while. Too long, in my opinion since we have seen a super dynamic, game-changing wide receiver for the Fighting Irish. Will it happen in 23? Please, please tell me it will. Because last year was really disappointing. It was really disappointing because I had high hopes. I read, I totally drank the Kool-Aid, and I was let down. So this year, I am going to resist the urge to get way out in front of it because I am... I'm optimistic, but I am also pessimistic given the fact that I was let down so significantly last year. Quickly on the defense, not as much that I'm going to spend time on as it relates to Notre Dame's defense. Last year, they were pretty good, man. I mean, they, they really were. I mean, Notre Dame really had a rock solid defensive group. Everyone's going to say, well, Foskey's gone. How do you replace Foskey? I'm, Call me crazy. I'm just not that concerned about it. And Foskey's a he can hustle, but did you watch him at the senior bowl? Because I watched him at the senior bowl and he was a non-impact player in one-on-one pass rush drills. The guy did nothing. I'm not saying he's not a good player. He's obviously real productive, had a nice year, but a lot of those sacks were hustle sacks. Like I don't think his presence at the end of the line of scrimmage scared the wits out of the opposing offensive tackles. I don't think it did. But still, the guy made a bunch of plays. So replacing that will be difficult. I love the linebackers. I think they're going to be in great shape there. I think they're going to be just fine as you look along the defensive front, brought in some key pieces, some guys that could make a difference immediately. So I am cautiously optimistic about what they have on defense. But at the same time, I just want to see who are going to be a couple guys that, that step up. All right, bold prediction. This will be Notre Dame's most explosive offense in their history. Who's playing wide receiver? You just named eight of them. Any I one just of named them. eight of them, and I, oh, I gave you the problem. I, I think Sam Hartman will be great. I'm very, very, very optimistic about this move. I think that offense that he played in is tricky, to be honest with you. I think it's a hard offense to play in as a quarterback. Now, it ends up getting you a lot of one-on-ones, but you also have to throw from a condensed pocket. That Your vision is going to be challenged. All that stuff is very difficult, I think, as a quarterback to play at a really high level in Dave Clawson's offense. Doesn't mean you can't do it. I thought Sam... Did a really, really nice job in that offense. I think that offense is difficult to defend too. So I'm not criticizing Dave Clawson whatsoever. I just think 
Sam might now be able to better showcase what he can do in just a more traditional drop-back passing style of attack. But who's he throwing it to? And what's the pecking order? I mean, is it... I mean, I know I just listed off 100 guys, and, and that's that's great, and, and we can go through them every single episode between now and when the season gets kicked off, and I'm going to feel great because just like last year, everything that I read about this wide receiver group, oh, man, look at these guys. They're coming on. They're really starting to develop that rapport with the quarterback. Man, this group is going to be totally different than they were a year ago. Great. I'm going to read that all summer. I know I'm going to read that all summer because I think everybody hopes springs eternal in the summertime. But when push comes to shove and they're teeing it up week one, week two, week three, is Jaden Thomas going to break out and be a 100-yard threat every single time out? Is Tobias Merriweather going to be you know, a monster that just has a chance to, to really break out? Is he going to be a guy that, man, I can't, I, we got to stop that guy. Is Lorenzo Styles going to be the guy he was always poised to become? I don't know. I don't know these things because they're probably going to look great in spring, but what are they going to look like in the fall? So I'm super optimistic. I'm hopeful. <laughs> I'm really hopeful, but I'm also, I've been burned by them before. See example 2022. So I'm going to proceed with caution at the moment when describing the explosiveness of Notre Dame's offensive attack. All right, the Red Raiders, they're back in the preseason top 25. At least they will be for me. I love what they bring back this year, man. The Red Raiders are cooking. And I look, I know that right now Lubbock is going absolutely bananas about what this season might be. But let's keep things in perspective for just a moment. Eight and five is a great record. It's a great record. But now taking the next step is where it gets really difficult. And the Big 12 is, is probably going to be pretty good. But I have a feeling. Maybe it's just me. I think Texas is going to be good. I think Oklahoma is going to be good. I have questions about Oklahoma State. Kansas State's got to replace a couple key pieces. Really like them. I think TCU comes back to earth a little bit. Like that third spot, second spot, fourth spot, two through five, even one through five in the Big 12 is anybody's guessing. Hey, Texas Tech could very well be that team. We know that Tyler Shuck is against Baron Morton for the quarterback job, but I'm I'm I think personally that you're looking on offense. You have a veteran in Shuck that's done an awful lot. I think they're in a really good spot. I, I do. I think Shuck and the performance in the Texas Bowl, that win over Ole Miss is going to give him enough of a leg up in the competition to, I, I first of all, and they're playing Oregon in the first couple games of the year. Like I just get the sense that he is going to be the guy. Here's the big question mark for Texas Tech. Tyree Wilson's a complete takeover the game defender on the end of the line of scrimmage. He's now gone. Who's going to be the guy that steps up for him? Now, everyone's telling me that it's the Steve Linton guy. You know, outside linebacker, edge rusher, transfer from Syracuse. Everyone say, hey, keep an eye on this dude. He's the real deal. He had 22 tackles last year, didn't have a ton of opportunities, but had six tackles for a loss and three and a half sacks. Everyone's telling me he's the guy that's going to be able to replace Tyree Wilson at the end of the line of scrimmage. But man, last I checked, looking at 2024 draft, Nick, like nobody has... Steve Linton 
as a guy that's going to be a top 10 pick. So he might be good. He might be great. He's still probably not going to be Tyree Wilson. That's okay. You just got to find some other pieces that can kind of complement him all the way around. You look at what is going on right now. Look, Tim DeRuiter wants to get after you. He wants to be aggressive. He wants to set the tone. He wants to pin his ears back, and he wants to come after the opposing quarterback, which is awesome. We're talking about a group that averaged seven tackles for loss a game last year. That had them in the top 20 nationally. That was a big reason why they had the record that they had. Can they continue to play at that level of intensity? I happen to believe they can. I think Texas Tech's one of those sleeper teams heading into the year that not enough people are talking about. Another team that it feels like every year they fall into the sleeper category. Let's go to the great state of Iowa. Right there, they start practice just a couple days ago. Last year, we know it's been documented, documented just how much their offense struggled. Just 252 yards a game. Look, there's only one direction to go, and that's up. Here's the good news. You go out and you get what could be an impact grad transfer in Cade McNamara. Now, people will say, well, Cade McNamara was at Michigan. He really more of a game manager. He didn't do that much. He stayed within the system. Go back and watch Cade McNamara in the 2021 season. Cade McNamara was a difference maker, man. And while maybe he's not going to be a franchise guy in the NFL, it doesn't matter. The guy has savvy. He has feel. He's a pretty good decision maker. Doesn't have a huge arm, but that's okay. He can overcompensate for that with a little bit of mobility and a guy that can extend some plays. I'm a huge believer in him. And I think that McNamara, when at Michigan, you're going to look at the stats. You're going to say 2,600 yards, 15 touchdowns against just six interceptions. I don't know. Those aren't numbers that are going to necessarily blow you away. Well, tell me this. If you're Iowa and your quarterback gives you 2,700 yards, 2,600 yards, 15 to 6 touchdown interception ratio, are you throwing a parade? Are you putting a statue outside Kinnick Stadium? Because you might want to think about it. That is a significant upgrade in what they've had the last couple of years under Spencer Petrus. Now, no disrespect to Spencer Petrus. They didn't exactly put him in a great position to succeed. But either way, they got immediate upgrade at the quarterback spot. So I'm excited for this potential match. He brings his tight end with him. There's a lot to like about what Iowa brings back around them. So I, th I think Iowa, look, you got to replace a ton on defense and that won't be easy. But this has always been an offense that has complemented the defense. So I would be shocked based on what's happened historically. I would be shocked if Iowa isn't continuing to play in top 10, top 15 level defense. I just need their offense to get to 20 points a game. So if they can get to 20 points a game, that might be all you need to potentially become very dangerous in the Big Ten. Let's keep it in the state for just a little bit. New offensive coordinator coming in for Iowa State. And this, this has really kind of been... It's been interesting to watch, right? Iowa State just a few years ago. And look, Brock Purdy has now gone on and shown everybody just how good he was, right? But just a couple of years ago, I mean, Iowa State was a team that was hovering. I don't want to say annually, but they were hovering annually in the top 25. That was, that was almost a no-doubter. They were a team that were challenging for Big 12 championships and a team that was 
kind of a threat to maybe get to the college football playoff. Well, to see just how they've, how they've fallen and how quickly they've fallen is a little bit surprising. Look, four and eight just last year, one and eight in the conference, complete shakeup with their staff. We're talking about a staff last year. They got rid of their offensive coordinator, probably needed to. They were 114th in scoring offense last year. 20.2 points per game. What's in the water in Iowa right now, man? Can we get some offense from the clones and or the Hawks? Because all I want to do is I just want a little offense between these two. I don't feel like I'm asking for too much. They finished 83rd in total offense, 116th in rushing offense. They averaged just 3.3 yards per carry. So Nate Shieldhase comes in. What is he going to be? Look, he's been around. He understands what Matt Campbell wants. He's been the wide receiver and the running back coach the last couple of years. So they're promoting from within. Tom Manning was at the position. Now he is out. So what is the offense going to look like? Are they going to go with a little bit more pro style? They go maybe a little bit more spread. Either way, they're going to have a lot of new faces around the offensive coordinator because a bunch of guys have probably been put on notice, and I would imagine that every single job is up for grabs. The one thing that I do think is interesting, Brock Purdy a couple years ago started as a true freshman. J.J. Cole is six foot seven, 230-pound quarterback. He's from Iowa, and he committed to the Cyclones back in April and has kind of held firm through the coaching changes. There's a very real possibility that Cole could be the guy that might, might take this team to the next level. Now, Hunter Deckers is going to be the guy initially, one would assume. I can't imagine, I can't imagine that anything changes there, but keep an eye and remember the name, JJ Cole. Big dude from the area, could be a guy down the road, way down the road, that might be able to take Iowa State to the next level. We shall see. And then finally, speaking of surprising seasons, last year it was surprising for all the wrong reasons at Iowa State. Well, Duke, it was surprising for all the right reasons. I don't think any one of us could imagine Mike Elko's first year culminating with, you know, one of the best turnarounds in the entire country. Talking about a team, remember Mike Elko was the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. Now, they went from being the worst defense in the ACC, among the worst defenses in the country. Last year, they improved the pass rush significantly, and they got 26 takeaways. That was double what they did the previous year. How do you build on that success? Now, turnovers, if you're banking on turnovers to win football games, you're probably going to have some ups and downs. That's for sure. Now you would like for them to be just a little bit more consistent. Now, Rob Smith was the defensive coordinator. He left. In comes Tyler Santucci, who was at Texas A&M under Mike Elko. He came over now to Durham, and hopefully they can continue to do what they did last year. But I think the biggest storyline last year was just how good Riley Leonard became. Riley Leonard went from being a guy that no one really knew about, but as the season went along, everyone started to pay attention. Hey, man, this Duke team is legit. They are really, really solid, and they might be solid again, assuming they can continue to create takeaways with as much consistency as they have. There's also one other thing, too. How often do you hear about guys transferring from Miami to Duke? Well, that's what happened. Al Blades Jr., 
He was one point a blue chip recruit, started 14 games in 19 and 20, but had an injury plague 2021. And the new coaching staff in Miami in 2022 just didn't get consistent playing time. Well, he now gets a fresh start at Duke and might be an immediate difference maker in the back end of that defense. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Like we try to do every single show, we're going to get to the mailbag questions. Continue to send these in. We appreciate so much all the different response we've gotten from you, both on social media. That's always CFB on both Instagram and on Twitter. But we also appreciate the emails that you've sent in. Continue to send those in and we will continue to get to your questions. So, Coobs, let's kick it off. Got three mailbag questions today, so let's dial it in. All right. First one comes from Brandon in Washington. Kalen DeBoer is 90 and 11 as a head coach, and in one offseason, took a Washington team that was four and eight the prior year to an 11 and two record with a bowl win over Texas. Is he quietly one of the elite coaches in college football? I'm trying to figure out what, what do you mean quietly? <laughs> because I think he's real deal. Now, I also think too, when taking everything into account, last year, I do think people are going to say you're nuts. I do think that the turnaround last year at Washington, it was never as bad as it seemed the year before. It was never, it felt way worse than it was. And I do think the time at Fresno State, that was kind of one of my favorite teams to watch, both in 21 and in 22. And he helped turn around the culture there as well. So I'm looking at just what he accomplished in short order, what he's already done with the quarterback position. We know that he was a receiver back in his playing days, but has worked closely with quarterbacks at both Fresno, at Indiana, at Eastern Michigan, at several other places as well. So if you look at what he's done with the quarterback position specifically, and that's the position I watched most closely, Look at how good Michael Penix was last year under his tutelage. Look at how good the year before Jake Hayner was under his tutelage. I'm telling you, man, I think Kalen DeBoer, there's nothing quiet about it. This guy is the real deal. And I'm thinking that it's finally, finally coming around to where people are aware of who he is nationally. And how about this? He's so good that Nick Saban interviewed his offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubb, because he want, he was strongly considering he's making an offer. Maybe he did make an offer. Maybe he didn't make it. I don't know. But he was strongly considering bringing a guy from the Kalen DeBoer coaching tree 
to Tuscaloosa to become his next offensive coordinator. So that just goes to show you when it's reaching the top, top coaches and they want a piece of what you're doing, that tells you all you need to know. So I don't think there's any secret. Kalen DeBoer is well on his way to being, I think, a highly successful, highly consistent coach at Washington. And if he gets another opportunity, if he gets an opportunity to go somewhere else, maybe that opportunity presents itself in the NFL. I don't know. But that's a guy whose stock I would buy right now because I think he's on a spaceship taken off. All right. Next question comes from Ryan in Florida. The correlation between Tom Herman and Lane Kiffin is pretty wild. Good coaches who were fired at blue trick blue chip programs, but fought or fighting in Herman's case, their way back through FAU. What is a successful first season for Herman? And do you think he will make it back to a P five school like Kiffin did? You know, what's funny. I mean, when you look at what, Lane Kiffin accomplished at FAU. And I, look, I'm a, everyone knows that I'm very fond of Lane Kiffin as a coach. I think he's an excellent, excellent coach. But if you look at what he stepped into, I mean, FAU has been a destination for a while. I mean, that's a place that has had some success. And if you look at his first season, they struggled. They got off to a one and three start, but they figured it out and they won 10 straight and ultimately won the Conference USA Championship against North Texas in his first year. So to think that he could flip the script that quickly, his second year, not quite as good, but his third year, of course, another 10-3, and three, a guy that did an awful lot. Now, he didn't coach in the bowl game that year, but he got to the Boca Raton Bowl two out of the three years that he was there. So 11-3, and 5-7, 10-3, 26-13, in his three years, 18 and six in the conference. What does success look like for Tom Herman? That to me, if your expectation level is an 11 win season, that to me feels a bit aggressive. Now I love the hire because Tom Herman has a massive chip on his shoulder. Massive. He doesn't feel like he should have been fired at Texas. It's hard to argue with that, to be honest with you, because Tom Herman wasn't terrible by any stretch of the imagination. He really wasn't. I mean, Tom Herman's a good coach. Has won a lot of games. And look at what Tom Herman did too. FAU is now transitioning into the American. The last time Tom Herman was in the American, how'd it go? Because I'm pretty sure Tom Herman, when he was at Houston, did pretty dang well and ran won a whole boatload of games. Now, does that necessarily mean he's going to be able to do it again? No, I can't tell you that for certain. I would love to be able to tell you that, but I can't tell you that for certain. But the guy went 13 and one. All right. The guy beat, he beat the Oklahoma Sooners. I mean, he did an awful lot of good. He beat Lamar Jackson. I mean, Houston was a problem in both 2015 and in 2016. And if you really look at what went down throughout the course of his tenure at the University of Texas, went seven and six year one, went 10 and four, won the Sugar Bowl in year number two, went eight and five, won the Alamo, went seven and three, won the Alamo. The guy went 4-0 in bowl games. The guy has never lost a bowl game as a head coach. And he's fared quite well as an underdog. And at FAU, you are going to be a perennial underdog until proven otherwise. So I love the hire, and I think it's got a chance to be excellent for not just him to revitalize his career, but for FAU as well to kind of move into a new era with a new conference and a full head of steam. All right. Last question here from Jerome in Alabama. 
With this being such an important spring at Alabama, do you think the Tony Mitchell arrest and suspension will be a distraction for the team and staff or a wake-up call? You know, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a distraction. I, I just don't. He wasn't there long enough for it to serve as a, as a distraction. The guy was there for six weeks before uh, he was driving 141 miles an hour down the road or whatnot. I mean, I haven't necessarily read the police report. Not necessarily sure we need to get into that, but I, I don't think it's a distraction. I mean, this has happened before. Guys have gotten in trouble. Guys get in trouble all over the country. I don't think it's necessarily a wake-up call either, though. I mean, this is one individual making a bad decision. Uh, so I, I can't, I'm never going to be one that looks at a situation like this and says, oh, well, they clearly have an issue within the program or, oh, they clearly need something to, you know, kind of gravitate towards. They need to focus or whatnot. No, like that one individual made a mistake, made a bad decision. And ultimately, uh, he will pay the price, I'm assuming, uh, depending on whether or not he's guilty, innocent, let the legal process run its course. But either way, I, I think it's a, I think it's one of those situations where if you're on the team, you view it as if a guy got hurt. Hey, he's no longer there. Next man up. That's the way it goes. I mean, I, I hate to be so cold and I hate that that's the way it is, but Hey, next man up. I don't view it as some, Oh, the wheels are coming off the track here. I mean, no, I don't view it that way at all. I just think this, is a freshman that did something stupid and uh, as a result was suspended indefinitely, but don't expect it to have some long-term effect on the team whatsoever. All right, let's just address what's going on right now in the college basketball world. Just enlighten me, humor me for about 30 seconds. Okay. Right now in college hoops, the fact that we have a final four that consists of San Diego state FAU Miami and UConn is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I love it. It's the first time three teams are making their final four debut. Miami, San Diego State, and FAU have never been to the final four. That's the first time that's happened in 53 years. I'll give you a dollar if you can tell me the three teams that made the final four for the first time that year. That would be the New Mexico State Aggies, the Jacksonville, I don't know what they're team is. They don't have a team anymore. So whatever their logo is or whatever their mascot is, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's just use that. And the St. Bonaventure Bonnies, which is, you know, everyone's favorite team. They're America's team. So it really is pretty remarkable right now just how things have changed in hoops. You have the one and done era, right? The team, an era in which, hey, you better have a lottery pick. You better have pros. Pros win in the tournament. No, 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 not so much anymore. I'm thinking the 21 and 22-year-old veterans that maybe either transferred to, to your school or have been developed over the course of multiple years and are now playing and are unflappable when the game's on the line. Look at Miami. How many different free throws down the stretch against Texas did they hit to put the game on ice? I mean, you know what that is? That's veteran poise. Guys were unfaced. So I might, and look, I'm not saying there's a lot of carry, carry over, a lot of correlation between basketball and football. But I wonder if it is a priority for some teams moving forward to, hey, we need to get older. <laughs> that might be something that could make its way to football at some point very soon because I know it's already being talked about in basketball circles. Hey, man, we don't necessarily, like, we will forego the McDonald's All American if we can get a veteran dude that's been in 
college for four years and has played high-level basketball against quality competition. Because look at the teams that are in there right now. They're all veteran and they're all old. It's pretty amazing to watch. Congrats to all those teams. We can't wait to watch them. Just a couple days from now, T ended up in Houston for the Final Four. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. For Jack Foster and Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Helps us out. It helps the show out. We will continue to put out content as often as humanly possible. We got three episodes this week. We've been doing two. We're going to three this week. And we got a bunch of big picture topics that we want to get to here over the next couple weeks. So keep it locked in right here on Always College Football. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.